Hello everyone, this is Nick Parker, welcoming you to the Exozone UK and part eight of the Yellow King Blues, our ongoing special investigation into the Jones Files and the remarkable story of an FBI investigation from 2008 into an occult crime gang in New Orleans, led by the ghost of the bayous, Victor Steno. So, in today's episode, we're opening file 18, which is in two parts. Part 1 is a recorded journal entry from Special Agent Beverly Summers, detailing the team's pursuit of the Sons of Twilight into the Nevada desert and to their compound base. And then into Part 2, we'll hear some curious transcripts that allegedly belong to the NRO. Now, the NRO will be a well-known acronym to any of you who are ufologists out there. It stands for the National Reconnaissance Office, which these days is a legitimate US government agency based in Chantilly, Virginia. They're in charge of designing, building, launching and maintaining America's intelligence satellites. As it says on their website, whether creating the latest innovations in satellite technology, contracting with the most cost-efficient industrial supplier, conducting rigorous launch schedules, or providing the highest quality products to our customers, we never lose focus on who we are working to protect, our nation and its citizens. So the NRO was actually a secret organisation until it was declassified to the public in 1992. Many in the UFO community believe it had a different purpose in the 31 years that its existence was denied. They believe it was involved in developing captured alien technology to progress and assist the US's space program, most recently enhanced by the launch of Space Force under the 45th President, Donald J. Trump. Essentially, it was an arm of Majestic 12. Now, I would suggest that these transcripts that you will hear today are probably the most compelling evidence that I have ever seen that go to show that the NRO, at least as late as 2008, was still running black operations. But, as with all the Jones files, you have to judge and evaluate these things for yourself. All right, let's go then. Let's open file 18. Special Agent Beverly Summers, audio journal entry, time check, 23.38 hours, Nevada desert, somewhere. So, everyone is currently regaining their equilibrium after the transfer by gate. So, I'm taking this opportunity to get um, a record of things. This is what my therapist told me to do make a record of events so that I know for sure they definitely happened. Especially in times like now, when I start to feel the damn rug is being pulled from under my feet. She says I have control issues. And when I feel out of control, and events have me in their grip, I start to freak out, which, well, let's be honest, isn't exactly a career maker in the FBI. The thing is, I didn't expect to be assigned to the real-life X-Files team, even given all the shit that I experienced in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, what happened? Does my 
record read can deal with weird shit. And that now means I'm just expected to cope with it every day from now on. Well, I'm sorry. I really don't think that's what I signed up for. It sure looks like I'm not alone in that score. Poor old chief. Not only you have a bit of a term when we were about to use the gate that Brooks had put together, but he also deposited the contents of what looked like burgers and donuts over the floor of the cave we arrived in on the other side. Literally blue chunks. I'm not entirely sure what sent him initially pale, but if I had to guess, I'd say it's got something to do with old suppressed or repressed memories coming to the surface at a inconvenient time. Whatever. Chief didn't look like a happy bunny all evening, which means at least two of us have issues and things we'd rather forget. At least Agent Brad Wilmot's arrival has had a stabilizing effect on me, and I'm glad we got along. There's nothing like another Marine around to toughen you up. And, well, let's be honest, Bev. He's kind of cute. This is, of course, not the first time I've been down the rabbit hole through a gate. And truth be told, you... You do kind of get used to it. Even though there's that moment when you first feel the pull of... Well, however it works. And... You get suspended in darkness. It's... Just an odd feeling... And you're really not sure for that first few seconds if, well, whether you'll be able to be come out the other side. I've also learned to block out the feeling that there are things out there in that darkness, that blackness, living things, just such immensity that their shapes and sizes would be truly impossible to describe. Yeah, sure makes you feel very small. Mm. Anyway, back to the rock pulling. We're hot in the trail of Vanetta Davis now. We think she's been taken by Simon Chandler, who up till recently had been hiding among the Sons of Twilight, this occult bike gang led by Elijah Kane. Our plan was to follow the Sons of Twilight through their gate to here in the Nevada desert and then hope that they knew where Chandler was, his remote viewing intel that is to believe they'd send soldiers to find him. So when we arrived, we scouted out the SOT compounds and managed to get eyes on Cece, who's been working undercover within the group. We had a plan to contact her in the hope she'd know where the soldiers went, but as is often the way with battlefield plans. We were hostage to events. First, we spotted the outlaws. That's a rival Hell's Angels gang. They had come to breach the gang's southern compound gates and managed to get into cover before we were seen. There was a little Mexican standoff, but then the ATF arrived and ruined everyone's party, just as Elijah Kane and his big, and I mean big sister, arrived. Kane cut a deal with Pierce so that he could get Missy and himself out by telling us Simon's whereabouts. Apparently he's holed up at a ghost town called Deal, 
where the SOT used to do deals with the Mexican cartels. It's about 16 miles away. He didn't know if Veneta was there for sure, but our guess is that she must be. Just as the dirt kicking between us and the ATF was about to get underway, the air was suddenly full of stealth choppers and heavily armed USAF Special Forces personnel led by, yeah, guess who, Agent Firth. She says she's Homeland Security, but I know that's not the case because, well, we've met before on a foreign field. She's from an agency you don't talk about if you value your career, although I happen to know that the Force Recon guys call them the 1-3. So, if this was a game of poker, the ATF had a pair. We had maybe a high card, but... None of it really matters in a heads-up showdown with that lot. <laughs> they never play unless they're holding a royal flush. The question is, what are they doing here? And why is she smiling at us? So that's Beverly Summers' entry in this file 18. Now let us take you on to this fairly short, but I think quite revealing... Uh, transcription um, of uh, activity from Majestic. Stand by. Part 2, coming up. NRO, Emerald West Command. Flash traffic. Code Black Majesty. Authorization Thor. 0155. 11 28 Delta Green. Sanction Team. Identified active deal Nevada in violation of Bradley Accord. Request permission to sanction. T. NRO Blue HQ. Flash traffic Emerald West Command. Authorization Black Majesty. 0159 11 28 T. You are authorized to detain Delta Green Team under Executive Order 201 using all means necessary. Casualties acceptable only in extremists. BM. 13. Flash Traffic. Priority Red. Magic 13. Authorize Agent JFS. 0210-112808. H. Proceed with caution and do your best to stay with them. MJ-12 command all over this and thus regretfully is out of my hands. Key we learn what they know of Hammer Ops, AUA, etc. before sanction. JF. Hmm, so... Short but revealing that second file, and it sounds like this NRO unit was connected to Majestic 12, who are running an off-the-book operation that was actually considering murdering, or sanctioning in the jargon, federal agents in pursuit of their duties. That's pretty revealing and terrifying stuff. We have audio capture from the team's insertion to the ghost town of Deal, Nevada, Coming up in file 19, and that's next time on the Yellow King Blues. 
Before we end today, I just wanted to share with you that the statue that we've been talking about over the past couple of episodes is finally in my hands. All right, that's not quite true. It's still in the box it arrived in, and I haven't yet had the uh, inclination to open it. A friend of mine who had been looking after it was very glad to see the back of it when we met and seemed very keen to get away from me as quickly as possible. I have to confess that Miss Channing Webb's comments about the statue itself not necessarily being terrifying, but rather what it had been a party to over unknown hundreds, maybe thousands of years, now rings true. Who knows how many poor innocents over the ages had this monstrous idol of Cthulhu in sight when they died, literally the last thing they saw, like those poor women and children in the bayou or the Eskimos under the rippling Greenland skies. Hmm. It really doesn't bear thinking about too deeply, and yet... I seem to be unable to think about anything else. A friend in the psychic community has recommended I speak to one of their friends. He's a bit of a recluse, but in their estimation, a good person, a noted occultist and a, apparently a demonologist who may be able to help me, although I'm not sure what help I actually need. Hmm. Anyway, I'll, I'll make contact with him and let you know how I get along. Right, well, in the meantime, be safe and we'll see you next time for part nine of the Yellow King Blues. <laughs>